Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. So what's the first ad you remember seeing as a young boy? The one which stuck with me the most, I would say, was the Coca-Cola ad. I still remember the jingle, things go better with (laughs) Coca-Cola. That has stuck in my mind until date. With the words, with the tune, everything is sort of fresh in my head. Is Coca-Cola the first brand you remember as a boy having an imprint on you? Coca-Cola is probably the one which stuck in my head at the time uh, pretty deeply. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Raja Rajamanar. He is the chief marketing and communications officer and president healthcare business of MasterCard. Raja talks about his amazing career path, beginning in India and working for companies like Unilever, Citigroup, Humana, WellPoint, and now MasterCard. And he's on the board of directors of a large company. Raja talks about lots of cutting edge things in marketing, like the importance of Sonic or the sound in marketing. And he really talks about the evolution at MasterCard from really a data processing tech company to a company that will help people realize priceless experiences. He speaks deeply about the purpose of MasterCard and the progress that's been made in the last five years. This episode is really like a business school course in marketing. Here's my conversation with Raja. Raja, welcome to the CMO Podcast. So, so happy to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. So, Raja, we both live in Cincinnati, but your global headquarters is in Purchase, New York. So why on earth does the global (laughs) head of marketing and communications and president of healthcare live in Cincinnati? Uh, Two reasons, I would say. Firstly, I think Is it the chili? Is it the beer? Uh, I'm a teetotaler, so the beer doesn't work. And I'm a vegan, so chili doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) It's neither of these two reasons, yes. Uh, actually, the main reason is, you know, I have a son who is autistic. And when I left Citibank in 2009 and I moved to join Humana in the Midwest, sure. uh, I chose Procter & Gamble's city. Obviously, that's where you worked, Cincinnati. And uh, we found it had really all the right facilities for kids with autism. So that's where I actually moved to. Uh, but once I joined MasterCard, I didn't want to move him again because for any autistic child, uh, any move is very traumatic. And I didn't want him to go through it again for the second time. I know the first time being when we moved from New York to mm-hmm. uh, Cincinnati. So that's why I continued there. And I think, I guess in this day and age, it doesn't matter where you are given the global connectivity. Yeah, and anyway, I'm on the road more than 200, 225 days every year. That's how much you travel. So, yes. I never see you in Cincinnati, so I knew you were doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to roll out a few stats for you and have you re- react to this. I hope I think I had this right. Mastercard has a market cap of two hundred and eighty billion. Yep. Your PE ratio is around fifty. Mm-hmm. Your stock price is up four x over the past five years, and you've been there six years. Six years. Mm-hmm. And you were recently named by the WFA, which is the World Federation of Advertising, a large global trade group, as the Global Marketer of the Year. So what is your humble person? I know that. But what is your magic? What could others learn from this incredible run that you've had at MasterCard and certainly many achievements before that? See, I think firstly, it's really a blessing. And uh, uh, you know, part of it is, I would say, luck for sure being in the right place at the right time. I would not discount that. Uh, And what is controllable, I think it has been, I would say, three key factors. First and foremost, the team that we have assiduously built. Uh, I think every one of them practically is a rock star. Uh, And uh, that's a huge thing, number one. Number two, uh, you know, before I joined MasterCard, marketing was considered to be more a creative function that was on the fringes of the business and doing things which are like you know, sponsorships and events and some pretty advertising. 
the brand is fantastic, of course. But then what we decided to do is to really move it from just being a brand builder to really a business builder. Uh, and also to build platforms for sustainable competitive advantage. So we broadened the mandate of MasterCard, of marketing at MasterCard. And in the process, we, uh, personally at least, I had to really evangelize the function internally and get complete buy-in and support from each and every one of my peers. That was a huge help. So when you have the whole company rallying together with you, it's easier to build the function as opposed to fighting internal battles and so on. So I would say that's a second uh, big thing. Uh, the third one I would say is uh, something which is truly inspiring for us is we said, look, unlike many other products which operate in a particular category, for us, we can go anywhere because we are all about movement of money and money. So it's about lifestyle, it's about purpose. Mm -hmm. So we had a very broad canvas to play on. And so it was very highly inspiring for everyone. And uh, I think the combination of these three really brought the best of our creativity. We had established solid partnerships, both with our agencies as well as with a number of external companies, big and small. I think collectively all that has really helped us get the momentum that we have at this point in time. And I feel very grateful for that. If I would walked around the halls of MasterCard five years ago and asked people what they thought about marketing at MasterCard, and I walked around tomorrow, what would the differences be in the last five years, six years? I, I would say that now they would say that, uh, on the one hand, marketing is a competitive advantage for the company, for the business. So that probably would not have necessarily heard. In the past, you would have heard maybe that uh, our marketing department is very creative and they are great advertisers uh, or they are major event organizers. That used to be the flavor of what they would talk. But today, they look at marketing be a core part of the business where we uh, are a part of winning deals, keeping deals, growing the business, and you know, helping with the margin, uh, build out new products. So it's a complete, uh, I would say transformational journey that we have been on. Far from complete, but that's the direction that we have been on. Well, we're going to dive into that in a bit more depth in a few moments, but first, uh, we'd like to get to know you a bit better. Okay. So you were born, raised, and educated in India, but you've not worked there for, I think, about 25 years. Correct. So who most influenced your desire to pursue a career in business? I think, you know, my role model throughout my life has been my brother. He is about 18 years older than me. So I tried to follow his footsteps because he excelled at everything that he touched. Uh, he did his chemical engineering. So I went and did chemical engineering. He stood first in the university. I stood first in the university. And I was following his trajectory. And uh, he was the one who constantly used to encourage me to get into the business side of the house. And uh, though I fell in love with chemical engineering and I wanted to be an engineer at one point in time, I moved away from that, did MBA, and then got into business. So I would say he was my main inspiration who really directed me to move uh, towards the business, and then I stayed there forever. Mm -hmm. So is, is he in business? He is. In fact, he was the president of a pharmaceutical company in India when he retired. Wow, excellent. You've had a global career. What's the favorite city you've lived in? When I lived in, I think it was Dubai. Uh, so in fact, you know, when I go back to each of the cities that I had lived in, they're completely different today. Mm -hmm. So I cannot say today my favorite city will still be Dubai. But when I lived at the time, Dubai was fantastic. It was sparsely populated. There was still desert all around. And uh, it was very different and you know, a wonderful lifestyle. It was like going back a little bit in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I really enjoyed that stint. So, so Dubai is the one which I have the most It's interesting the way you of. put that. My, my favorite is Prague. My wife would say that too, because we were there before it had emerged. It's right after yeah. the Berlin Wall. Yes. We were opening up the business. The city was evolving, dynamic, flawed. So it was a, it was a great place to live. Yeah. Dubai was fantastic. And I didn't live in too many cities. I was in Hyderabad, Bangalore, Delhi, uh, Bombay, Dubai, London, mm -hmm. New York, Cincinnati. So those are the places I lived in. Yeah. And I think of all those, Dubai was the one which I think I enjoyed the most. So you've had a rich career path. I'm going to say the companies Unilever, Citigroup, Diners Club, Humana, WellPoint, MasterCard, and you're on the board of PPL. Yep. So outside of MasterCard, what was your most defining career experience in that incredible career path? See, I think the biggest risk I had taken uh, was probably in 1993 uh, when I left Unilever and uh, joined Citibank. 
So the reason why I say it is a risk is I didn't know anything about credit cards and I was supposed to go and launch credit cards in a country which was completely different. Uh, I didn't know uh, anything about the United Arab Emirates at the time. Culturally, totally alien. Regulatory systems and cultural norms and sensitivities were very high and very different. I didn't know the product. I never had a credit card when I was in India with you. So what compelled you to do that opportunity to make that switch? I don't know if it is foolhardiness. <laughs> Adventure, right? You're moving countries, right? Yes. I, I actually, I think probably what attracted me most was a tax-free income. Well, there you go. One of Pragmatic those, I would benefit. Say. <laughs> Pragmatic benefit indeed. But also, I guess the quality of life uh, in those days was it had the best of both the East and the West. Mm -hmm. You had the uh, Western type of infrastructure and you had the proximity to India, and you had the comforts like we used to have, uh, you know, our own cook at home and gardener at home. So you had those kind of creature comforts that were on the eastern side. So it really had the best of both worlds to offer, and that's when I went. And, uh, you know, it, it was also a little difficult from another point of view in those days. Dubai was not seen to be the place where the professionals would go. It's, it used to be typically a destination for the blue-collar workers mm -hmm. from India in those days. So a lot of people dissuaded me from going. Uh, and uh, But I said, no, I'll, I'll just go and take a chance. And I went there, and thank God I did that. Uh, that was really a defining moment for me because that's when I really learned P&L and sensitivities uh, in terms of the drivers of P&L and so on mm -hmm. quite in-depth. Uh, that was the time when I realized that the principles that I have learned over the years at Unilever and before the Asian Paints in India were equally applicable in a completely different cultural context and a product context that was really a steep learning. We became a market leader in nine months' time and we broke even as a business in 14 months' time. So that was a very, very, uh, you know, I would say significant career-defining moment for me. And I stuck on with Citibank uh, for 15 years after mm -hmm. that. It also gives a young leader confidence, right? Absolutely. That you can do things that you haven't done before, which is an important early lesson. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you spent some time in healthcare, mm -hmm. right? So financial services, healthcare, in a way, back to financial services. So what about the healthcare experience has made you a different, better leader? So I think probably till then, till I went into the healthcare industry, I was dealing with product categories uh, that were not truly essential, if you were to say, from a consumer, individual uh, person's point of view. When I went to healthcare, firstly, as a patient myself, uh, I could really identify. Mm -hmm. And also, the status of the industry was so broken, you cannot even call it a system. Every single aspect of the healthcare system was broken, is, is broken. So when I went there, and that was the uh, peak time when uh, Obamacare was being formulated, uh, and that was a time when everyone was characterizing health insurance companies as those evil vultures who suck the last drop of blood from their helpless victims. And uh, and I, I went. That's to not a good brand purpose. That's not a good brand purpose at all. But then that was the environment yeah. that yeah, I went of course. in, yeah. and uh, I sort of started looking at the industry from within. Uh, it was really eye-opening. Firstly, I never realized how broken it was. Uh, secondly, there was a complete trust deficit across the board. You know, the government doesn't trust uh, the insurance companies. Insurance companies don't trust the hospitals. Hospitals don't trust the insurance companies. The patients don't trust anybody, and they're left out there in the open. And in that kind of a scenario, that was something which we said, look, oh, we need to have an anchor on the one hand to really ground ourselves in some, uh, you know, solid uh, model. Uh, to really do something good for the consumers in a real sense, but also make sure that we make money in the uh, process as well, uh, on the one hand. And the second, that was a time, I guess, uh, from a leadership point of view, uh, it was working with the government officials and to help them understand, because many of the people, even in the government, didn't have a clue of how the industry would work. And it was frightening to see that these were the people who were aiding mm -hmm. the government to formulate the policies. And it was you know, pretty crazy. It was one of the deepest learning curves for me at that point in time, but profoundly meaningful because in those days, uh, the company I joined, Humana, used to be focused on Medicare uh, Advantage, mm -hmm. which is for all the senior citizens. And when you go, and I visited uh, hundreds of senior citizens, mostly in Florida and places like that, and to see how they live, what their pain points are, et cetera, it was like when I would meet them, it was like meeting my own parents. Mm -hmm. And that was very deeply touching and moving. And I said, look, you cannot just let these people be like that. And we did some very good things during the time that I was there. And uh, I feel that from a 
empathy point of view, there was no other industry I felt as deep an empathy uh, with the people uh, who you are trying to serve. Uh, and uh, that, that was a very profound experience for me. It was very deep. We've gotten a lot of input on the podcast uh, from listeners and participants. They want more healthcare. So we're going to try to line up some more leaders in healthcare to talk about some of these issues that are, that are so important. I know. And, uh, and, and so challenging. And what's funny also is, it's not funny, what's sad is also that this is exactly the state of affairs in every single country that you go to. Mm. A, it's a single biggest line item. It's a growing aging populations everywhere. Inordinate amount of bureaucracy and friction in the entire system. Total trust deficit. Outcomes not being good. So people are living longer, but unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So therefore what happens, it puts a pressure on the system whether you're nationalized medicine or privatized, it doesn't matter. The fundamental issues are exactly the same. Uh, and I think companies have to really step in and do a lot. And that's one reason why we said at MasterCard, we will uh, start a healthcare business. And we started it about two and a half years back. And, and we, you're leading that. Yes. Yeah. So you know yourself better than I do. What do you think would be the most interesting thing for us to talk about on this podcast? For me, the most exciting thing, I would say, is talking with Jim Stengel. <laughs> well, we're doing that. <laughs> the legendary <laughs> the legendary. I get to one. ask the questions. Right? You get to no, ask no, questions no. We, we, it's a conversation. <laughs> we can go wherever you want this to go. Yes. So, so now I'm good to go right. wherever you want to go. Well, I want to talk about MasterCard for a moment. You've been there six years. Yes. And the, in the role of the CMO and healthcare leader now. And you are, I've seen you speak many times. I've known you for many years. You are a leader in our industry in the concept of brand purpose. So I want you to talk a bit about how you've come to that point of view and how this has come to life at MasterCard. And uh, so tell us a little bit of that story about what purpose and business mean to you and, and what's your journey been on MasterCard? Because it's probably not the most intuitive brand someone would think that would embrace purpose sure. and win on that. So, in fact, you know, if I go back to my healthcare days, mm -hmm. uh, and I was telling that's where I saw the most vulnerability amongst people, and large corporations can make a difference. And we tried to do, like, for example, uh, we got away with, uh, not got away, but we abolished the concept of recession, uh, which is uh, declining somebody's policy based on what you thought were false declarations made by them mm -hmm. for unrelated conditions several years back and so on. And when we did those kind of changes, the profound positive impact on people's lives was extremely gratifying, right? So when I was coming into MasterCard, one of the things which really motivated me was the leader of the company, Ajay Panga, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he's a guy who, uh, you know, uh, he's an amazing person as a human being. Forget about the fact that he is a terrific professional. He's a fantastic human being. Is that why you made the switch? Yes. Mm -hmm. And he uh, really believed that, you know, we should be doing well as a company by doing good to the community and to the society at large. And it is not just a cute corporate statement that you would want to make, but to really want to walk the talk. So when I came in, uh, that was one of the major, uh, what you call, motivations mm -hmm. for me. And secondly, once there, we started looking at, you know, what are the ways we can manifest this in our, into our whole scenario? If you look at MasterCard, one of the interesting things is, at the time it went to IPO, 10% of the company's stock uh, or shares were set aside for a foundation. And this foundation today has got $28 billion of worth, right? And by law, they're supposed to be spending about 4% of that every single year. That's a billion dollar plus of philanthropy every single year done by the company. Now, that's a separate organization from MasterCard. They're at arm's length. We don't have anything to do with them. They're on board, their own CEO. They're based out of uh, uh, Canada. So most companies would have said, we have formed, and it's now the world's single largest philanthropic, corporate philanthropic organization, and they would have left it at that. Uh, but what we said is, no, we can do a lot more in our core business. And I think when the core business incorporates this purpose, whatever will be the purpose that you define for, it can make a humongous difference, not only to the people that you're trying to serve, but it's also good for your company. So I'll tell you how it is. For example, MasterCard doesn't issue a single credit card. 
But the single biggest association we have is that you're a credit card company. And credit card company, uh, as a credit card company, it's a hated company, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody likes credit cards. I think probably they are uh, the only one which exceeds in terms of hatred is health insurance. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in that kind of a scenario, yeah. the association is MasterCard, credit card company, therefore not good. So we said that needs to change because we don't issue any credit card. Rather than shouting up from the rooftops that we don't issue credit cards, what we said is let's actually build so For stuff. our listeners, you're the power behind the you're a data processing company, basically. Correct. Right? We are a technology platform yeah. that will connect or that connects today about 1.8 billion consumers mm-hmm. who have a MasterCard issued by about 45,000 banks around the world who are our primary clients and accepted at about 45 million merchants around the world. So this entire network is what we run. So we're a technology platform, basically. It happens to be the payment space. So in that scenario, what we said is we need to really think, firstly, what should our brand stand for? What's the purpose of our brand? Why do we exist to begin with? And then try to sort of build it from there on and connect the dots to the responsibility and obligations to the shareholders. So when we went through that exercise, what we said is, look, we have got uh, Priceless as an amazing property, and let's launch one pillar leveraging Priceless and bring it to life in a tangible way called Priceless Causes. So priceless causes, we said, okay, let's identify the cause. And we identified the first one was about cancer. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems to have uh, somebody close to them who has been affected by cancer, either survived or passed away. And that's a high concern. So we said, does MasterCard have the permission to play in that space of cancer? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. But we said, look, if we are genuine about your purpose, it does not matter whether you have got anything directly to do with that field or not. It is a little bit of a gamble. I had a lot of pushback at one point in time, but then we said, Mm -hmm. let's go with it. And how did we connect the dots? What we said is we'll run a promotion, for example. One of my areas of focus for growth is restaurants. In the category of restaurants, use your MasterCard during these eight weeks in summer. And every time you use your card, we contribute a cent or a cent and a half to Stand Up to Cancer Foundation, which is a very uh, good organization that's doing a ton of good stuff uh, in the field of cancer research. And we said, let's see what happens. On a test basis, when we started, what we found was we were growing in that promotional period 6 to 8% higher than the secular growth rate, which is great. That's big. That's big. And after the promotion is over, it was coming down definitely, but it was still about a point to point and a half mm-hmm. higher than the secular growth rate, which means there is a permanent shift in my share. Mm-hmm. That more than paid for itself the contribution that I was making to Stand Up to Cancer Foundation. Mm-hmm. We said this is something which is then sustainable and let's do so it. So how did you link that to your, your Priceless was your brand platform at the time, right? Correct. You enable Priceless experiences. Correct. So how did you link the, the effort with cancer into that? So what we said, is this is all about Priceless, is brought to life through four platforms, one of which is Causes. Mm -hmm. Now, Causes is not just purely talking about cancer, but to really bring experiences to consumers. Like, for example, we had signed up a number of celebrities. And then you go and, for example, book at a priceless table, as we would call it. So it's a table where you have got about 20 people and a celebrity sitting at the table. And the celebrities would give their time free. They were, they were not charging us anything. They would come there and then we would auction the seats and the proceeds would go on behalf of the celebrity to stand up to cancer. Mm. For people who are yes. going there, A, it's a glamorous event for them. But also there is no guilt, but there is a nice feeling that I have done something, I have contributed something for this cause. Plus, card utilization, card when you're talking about the credit card use itself, sometimes very subliminally, there is a feeling of guilt. Mm -hmm. I'm splurging, can I afford it, should I be spending it? But then when you have got a good cause associated Mm -hmm. with it, people are fine. Now the thing is we went back and completed the loop. So we worked with Stand Up to Cancer Foundation created a methodology with them. They were the ones who were driving it. Uh, With the result of which, while it takes about 12 years for one drug from molecule to FDA approval, we had already seven drugs that have been approved by FDA. And some methodologies for advanced detection or early detection of ovarian cancer, which till then was being, it's too late by the time you discover that's how it used to be. Mm -hmm. But now there is a methodology by which you can detect it early and it's still curable. So, and these would feed back to the consumers and say, look, what you have done, this is what Mm -hmm. is actually uh, being given. So we started and then we said, okay, what are the other causes? We went with World Food Program and today we are contributing to about 100 million meals uh, to take care of children uh, mm-hmm. from underprivileged backgrounds. 
uh, and we feed them at their school because we want to see them in school. Mm-hmm. School attendance went up 11% wherever we have gone and 14% amongst girls, which is really nice Fantastic. because that helps them Fantastic. break out of that poverty trap, yeah. so to speak. Uh, we are working with refugees. Uh, we are working with, you know, we started looking at various areas. And then we said, look, you know, it's not just about MasterCard doing something by itself why don't we create a platform to enable people to mm-hmm. do something priceless? So our campaign is start something priceless. Mm-hmm. We started internally where a bunch of uh, our employees got together and they wanted to do something like the ice bucket challenge, but do it for, uh, uh, what is this? Um, it's what, what ALS. It? AMS, it's yeah. ALS. Yeah. So it's called, uh, no, and they said it's a salsa challenge. So for mm-hmm. salsa challenge, you said you'd make a salsa move on the camera. It's basically to mm-hmm. raise awareness and they have raised, I believe, about a quarter million dollars for that cause. So when employees start embracing the platform and doing it, then you know really it's yeah, working. Yeah. And that's how it's been going very, very well. Yeah. So the purpose, um, up to this day, you're, you're still on this platform, correct? And you're still bringing it to life in creative ways. Absolutely. And you've seen the impact on the brand image, on obviously your financial metrics are terrific, employee engagement, customer engagement. All around. Absolutely. In fact, now we are one of the most liked brands uh, in the world, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, A few years back, our brand Z rating, our ranking was about 87. Today we are at 12. In the US, we are at 10. So it's moving in the right direction for us. Our share is growing everywhere. And most importantly, employees are joining the company for the purpose. Which is really yeah, yeah. remarkable story. Thank you. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So tell me about your job. So take the mystique away. Okay. So you have this big title at this big company. <laughs> so what's the work? What do you do? How do you spend your time? What do you focus on? I would say, uh, first and foremost, it's about evangelizing the function and socializing the function constantly in the company. Uh, You need to remain at the top of the mind in the right context with the right association. And everyone in the company should feel that they own the department together as opposed to marketing is a fringe function that is out there. So build strong relationships with the CFO, with the CTO, you know, with the general counsel. I think that's one big part of the role, number one. Okay, and that enables the entire function to operate extremely seamlessly. And of course, with the CEO himself. The second one I would say so is- As you're doing that, how are you establishing credibility for your function? What sorts of things are you talking about with these other functional leaders, other, other C-suite leaders? So I would say, for example, uh, let's talk of CFO, mm-hmm. right? Uh, CFOs are typically the most critical ones about the marketing function because they look at you spending hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, and say, what are we getting in return, right? And if you go back to them and say, my brand awareness has gone up, predisposition has gone up, or whatever, they couldn't care less. They want to see what is the impact, whether it's the top line or the bottom line or the margin. So one of the first things that I have done and I continue to do is to have regular meetings with the CFO to walk, before it was she, now it is a he, to walk, the CFO through the metrics and where we haven't cracked the code on establishing a firm linkage to the ROI to admit it very transparently and ask for thoughts. We are not able to crack this. Can we put our heads together in the crack? So make them co-own the whole thing as opposed to saying, I'm the one who has to do everything. No, we own the company, we own the department, let's do it together kind of a thing. Uh, And pull them into the tent constantly. For example, if I have got a sponsorship event, I would say, come, be there, see for yourself what we are doing. And then, do you have any ideas? Can we do it better? And the funny thing is, everyone has a view on marketing. And so, draw them in. Mm-hmm. And uh, as opposed to being defensive, right. or say you don't know anything about this area, whatever, the fact is they're all consumers, so they have ideas, they have thoughts, take them in. I think that really builds the bridges amazingly. Same thing with the CTO, same thing with you know, uh, uh, general counsel. It re- it's a really great thing. That's number one. Second, uh, what I also do is I call them very frequently to my leadership meetings. 
So I have, uh, you know, these biweekly leadership meetings. And then I have got my global meetings happening once every quarter, once every actually alternate month. I invite the team, uh, you know, my peers mm-hmm. to come in there and then talk and to hear and be asked questions and answer. So I try to try and get a good bridge uh, between any, every other functional head and ma- uh, marketing. So this is one part of it. Uh, second part of my big role is in terms of uh, making sure that I have the right people on the team and that they are feeling inspired, uh, that they're being recognized, that they're being that they're feeling that they are rewarded appropriately. Uh, and we run things like you know innovation challenge, and then we publicly acknowledge folks who are doing good stuff and so on. Uh, it seems trivial, but the reality is management is a high touch sport. Mm-hmm. And when you do these things, uh, I think they are, you know, pretty charged up. And when they, it's and once they get charged up, it's like a self, uh, you know, it, it's like a flywheel which keeps building more and more stronger momentum. And today, I would say the organization is jiving. In fact, in terms of the employee satisfaction scores, uh, marketing last year, uh, I was actually at the top along with one other function. Uh, top of the organization, I'm talking about it. So that is something fantastic. So that's the second thing. The third thing, I'm constantly looking at external partnerships. So I spend a lot of time outside of the company trying to meet with partners or potential partners, people who have got some concepts to provide them an opportunity. And every single damn email that I receive, I read it and I respond to them. And I find that even if I get one good idea out of 100 emails, it's well worth the time spent. So, How do you manage your time to do that? That's... <laughs> it's challenging. <laughs> it is challenging indeed, yes. See, one of the things we started doing is, uh, on the one hand, uh, because now my team is extremely senior, each one of them, uh, they have a lot of latitude mm-hmm. to do what they think is absolutely right. So I don't micromanage them mm-hmm. at all. Uh, that in itself is you know, a, a substantial amount of time freed up and as opposed to managing uh, these folks very closely. Uh, the second thing is, I think it's a little bit of a discipline to say that I'm not going to bed till I finish all my inbox and make it empty. Uh, I, I think that that's something which really works well, then number two. Uh, number three, what I also try to do is to have specific champions for different projects. Uh, like you know, half the meetings which I personally used to do in the past, I have delegated it already to my chief of staff. Mm-hmm. And he's an extremely competent guy. So he goes and he attends on my behalf and then fills me in. So that again, so what I try to do is to figure out where I'm absolutely not necessary and try to delegate it. And where I think it's good to have, but not really critical, I either kill it altogether and focus on lesser number of priorities uh, and invest a lot of my time actually trying to learn and, uh, you know, because everything is changing around us so fast. And if I don't keep up, I'll become obsolete very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so... What are some of your strategies for keeping up, staying fresh, staying current, staying on top of your very dynamic industry? What, yeah. What could others learn from you? Uh, first and foremost, I think, uh, you know, uh, I read a lot uh, and try to uh, keep myself up to date. Subscribe to a number of newsletters as well as I read books. Uh, because I keep traveling all the time. I don't watch movies uh, for in-flight entertainment, but I use that time to really educate myself a little bit. That's number one. Number two, I meet subject matter experts in the industry across different areas, so artificial intelligence, or whether it is augmented reality, or it is blockchains, etc. And I try to really spend quality time uh, trying to understand from the first principles, and I go to enormous amount of depth, so that I'm not just dropping the names but I actually understand what I'm exactly talking about. So that's the other thing. Uh, and uh, what the uh, I do attend a lot of industry conferences and meetings, mm-hmm. and I look at what are the subjects that I would like to learn more, and I see who the speakers are, and then mm-hmm. I reach out to them and say, hey, can we have a chat? Can we have lunch, dinner, whatever? And then, so that's why I really uh, are uh, on a journey, literally, to keep trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something learning is also something which I truly enjoy. So it's not against the grain that I have yeah, to go. But me too. How do you decide which uh, topical areas to go deep in that are important for the future of your company? Because I can imagine your 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 scope as a company is fairly broad. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned augmented reality, artificial intelligence, blockchain. So how do you choose those that are important for the future? Because obviously you can't learn about everything. Correct. See, the, the key thing is for us, uh, for me at least, particularly what I see is that uh, we keep constantly doing an environmental scan 
of what is coming down the horizon. Like, for example, you have got uh, something about holographic projection. It's good to know, but probably it might not have a lot of uh, what you call practicality mm -hmm. to my business at this stage in our life cycle. So, okay, I want to be aware of it, but you don't have to deep dive. Something like an AI, it's completely transforming everything, right? The entire value chain of marketing is being impacted by it, every aspect of it. So I definitely go deeper into it. Uh, and uh, one of the things I also find is that there are many people who come in claiming that they have artificial intelligence. They have they drop the words, but when you actually look into the uh, under the hood, there is no AI in a real sense, right? So for me, when I'm trying to create some of these new pilots and new experiments, I need to understand who I'm getting into partnership mm -hmm. with and do they have the right capabilities or not. So for those kind of things, I have to I, you know, focus on certain key uh, areas. And I have made a list of things that I would focus on. Mm -hmm. And if something else comes up, I see very quickly decide is it something which is applicable to us or not. Like for example, last two years we have been working on our sonic branding. Mm -hmm. And I went into a ton of depth. So say a bit more. I wanted to get to this. Uh, you you made a remarkable talk at the Cannes Festival about Thank a month you. ago, one of Thank the most you. popular talks. And all, all of my people who went there were buzzing about it. So tell us why you chose that topic and what your main message was for our listeners. So uh, what I spoke about there is how MasterCard has got into this multi-sensory branding in a big way. Uh, and why we have got into and how we got into it. And I just shared the case study of MasterCard out there. So what happens is today, uh, if you see the environment from a consumer's point of view, A, span of attention is low. B, they hate ads and ads are interruptions. C, they're doing things to keep the ads away completely. Uh, D, uh, there is uh, such a profound level of uh, antipathy to advertisements that they're paying money to go into mm -hmm. uh, ad-free environments like Netflix and Hulu and all these good things, right? So in that case, how do you really reach consumers? How do you tell them your story? And how do you impress upon them that your brand is better and influence their choice in your favor? So we said that traditional advertising is not going to do it. Uh, it has its role, but I just for effect, I keep saying it's dead, mm -hmm. right? And uh, then how do you do it? It's all about experiences. Easier said than done. How do you do experiential marketing? And uh, so we have been on that journey with the four platforms and all that. Now, when you look at what all the stuff that we are doing is embodied within that brand or the brand is the wrapper for everything that we are doing mm -hmm. and whatever the consumers are associating our brand with is sort of supported by those proof points but then I need to know how I'm presenting my brand to the consumers effectively. So we contemporized our brand logo which is one visual representation of the brand. Uh, about two years back we make it, made it more contemporary in the font and they de-emphasized the mm -hmm. card part of it and colors have been changed still in the family but very different optimized for digital and all that good stuff and this year we dropped it all together the name from our logo mm -hmm. so that symbol brand as we call it we did it basically because in small digital screens where you have four or five brands at the checkout the space is so small that people are not even able to read the word MasterCard below my logo so I have it take it off and expand the size of your logo so that it looks disproportionately bigger than the other guys. And that really matters at that moment of truth, as mm -hmm. Procter & Gamble would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we said this is how we should be going. Now, that is working very well for us because more than 80% of the people around the world recognize MasterCard just by looking at the red and yellow circles. Now, the thing is, I can show my brand if there is a visual real estate. But what if there is no visual real estate? Now, voice commerce is becoming huge. Connected cars are coming in a big way. Internet of Things is coming in a big way where you're going to talk to your refrigerator, where your dishwasher and all these uh, you know, uh, devices where there is no visual real estate. It's all based on your voice. And, it, and the only way you can register your brand is through sound. So we said, therefore, it is absolutely imperative for us to have a sound identity. So we looked at the entire landscape and said, who are who is doing a good job today? And what can we learn from them? And what we were pretty surprised, and this we started about two years back, is not too many brands are doing anything in this space at all. Who do you think is doing a good job? I really sound? don't think anyone is doing a great job, honestly. 
nobody is doing a great job from my perspective mm-hmm. uh there are brands which are doing very well in some pockets like intel for example has been doing their sonic signature right. forever that's right. very great british airways has been doing their you know melody uh, you know mm-hmm. at multiple touch points they have been doing very consistently for a length of time but these are like you know a handful right. and they're also not very comprehensive so we said we need to write our own playbook so we started with the 30 second melody that we created after doing a ton of neuro research and all kinds of research right so we said our brand has to be neutral that's very important because we don't want the brand to dominate the attention mm-hmm. uh you know away from what you are trying to communicate it should be supporting uh it should be pleasant otherwise people will be put off it should be memorable otherwise there is no association with the brand and the sound it should be hummable the more hummable mm-hmm. it is the simplicity is it is hummable and hummability is memorable it becomes then we wanted it to be highly versatile which means whether you are in dubai or london or singapore wherever it should feel native and appropriate there and because mastercard plays across 10 different passion points whether it is sports on one extreme versus opera on the other extreme you have to be completely relevant across those situations as well so it has to Quite cut brief. across correct and then of course the agency sort of they looked at me saying that this guy has got three heads <laughs> uh but the key thing is we went and we cracked the code and uh, uh we worked with you know some of the best musicians musicologists mm-hmm. composers etc now this 30 second melody is what will be played across all my advertisements and and we have got it's not one version of the melody but the w- melody is renditioned in different different situations we got more than 20 already there uh and it'll play in my ads it'll be at our events it'll be there as music on hold if somebody wants to download to their mm-hmm. phone uh, they can have it as a ringtone so multiple applications we have a subset of this is about 3 seconds which is what our uh, sonic signature is with which we end our ads for example mm-hmm. and last one we had and this is the third layer which is what we call as the acceptance sound so each time your mastercard transaction goes through successfully you hear this sound for 1.3 seconds uh these are the three layers we have revealed at this point and we got seven more layers that are coming down the pike and uh when we started experimenting this it's also very important to note like for example Uh, the acceptance sound you are a checkout clerk at walmart you got hundreds of people going through the checkout every day and if you keep on hearing that you should not go crazy so we had to really do research mm-hmm. to see which are the least fatiguing sounds mm-hmm. and how do they really uh, how do you keep it interesting for them uh, so you have variations of that plus also do you have the same acceptance sound at tiffany's versus games stop it has to be very different so we went into very wow. very comprehensive structure uh about the whole thing and uh a brand architecture and it really worked very well for us so far it's going uh, quite nicely and so this is what i was sharing with them as the one sense which is the audio sense the second one we have done is also uh, on taste so we have launched about uh uh 100 plus tables uh you know in the united states alone and literally thousands around the world we call them the priceless tables exotic experiences mm-hmm. uh and give them the taste you know uh and what we have done recently is uh we launched our first full fledged restaurant in rome airport uh fumicino airport and it's a gourmet What's restaurant it called? it's called bistro by mastercard and very high tech experience where uh, there is a robot which comes and receives you and escorts you to your table the table is an interactive table you order from the table you pay on the table at the end of the experience if a flight is getting delayed or whatever you get notifications to the table it's a pretty cool kind of a thing mm-hmm. and now we are actually launching next week uh our flagship restaurant in tribeca so this place is uh this will be called have priceless surprise surprise right so we're going to have four restaurants in that place uh and these are world class restaurants 100% replicated like for example one of the restaurants is called uh, the rock in zanzibar in uh, tanzania and it's in the middle of the sea and looks very exotic so we are replicating 100% exactly that same thing here in manhattan and uh, same menu same views and we are even replicating the sounds both inside and outside the re- uh, restaurant in the original the rock uh, to what's going to be here in manhattan and uh, so what we are trying to do is to get to the consumers through multiple senses mm-hmm. and register our brand very subtly and uh, understanding that we have the permission in those spaces if we don't have the permission to play we will create and earn the permission to play so we created the permission through the restaurant mm-hmm. through the tables yeah. and now we are legitimately getting into the restaurants in a big way be interesting to see where this brand goes right Indeed. very unexpected but you know, but very strategic 
So we're going to have to wrap up soon. I want you to talk a bit about your amazing CEO. And, and uh, you could talk for a long time about this, but what I really want to uh, unpack a bit is how do you as a CMO of this brand build a special relationship with your CEO? How often do you meet? What do you talk about? What's he involved with? So what are your lessons from working with one of the most successful and prominent CEOs in the world? Ajay, yes. what are your sort of what's your working relationship? What could others learn from you? So we have a very interesting working relationship, right? So he lets me be and I don't bug him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't breathe down my neck, have complete independence, and I do what I think is right. And but he never gets a surprise. He gets good or bad news before anyone knows. Mm-hmm. So that way he can absolutely be sure that he will never be caught unawares of anything, number one. Number two, I conditioned him and agreed with him that we will take risks. And if we fail, we'll try to fail as minimally as possible. And failure has to be expected uh, in the overall scheme of things. And that's an equation and agreement that we have got. Third, he happens to be from a marketing background because he used to be uh, in marketing at Nestle's mm-hmm. and he was there in Pepsi, etc. And that's very difficult because, you know, you have got a CMO, uh, kind of a CEO. Sure. And uh, both of you, if you are thinking that you're experts in the same area and your views are not exactly aligning, that's going to be a little t- difficult. And uh, his and my views are very, very different on most of the so- topics in terms of, uh, you know, how you do a marketing campaigns and stuff like that. But then he respects me and he says, you know, I have hired the CMO, you go, you'll be the full-fledged CMO and he'll be the full-fledged CEO. And it's a very healthy equation. And when I need advice or help, he's there. Uh, I keep him up to date. And uh, uh, I would say that this is probably one of the best relationships that I have got had in my entire career uh, working with him. And uh, it's you know it's a privilege. How did he respond when you said we have to take risks and we will fail, and I'll try to fail as minimally as I can, Correct. but sometimes it probably will not be totally minimal. Correct. How so, did he respond, and how has he been on that journey? I'll tell you. For example, when uh, I went to him to say, Ajay, I have got a fantastic idea. We should drop our name from our logo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You can imagine. Yeah. That's yeah. a risk, right? Yeah. And uh, of course, he would look bewildered and say, "What's wrong with you?" Right. But the thing is, I think you have to trust me on this. And I think we have done our tests and leave it to me. And if it had gone wrong, I know that he would have supported me still mm-hmm. for having taken the risk. Thank God we succeeded. But the key thing is, so this is an example. And I don't ever uh, go to him with uh, any proposal that is uh, un- uh, not fully mm-hmm. thought through sure. and backed by data or backed by judgment, mm-hmm. call it whatever mm-hmm. it is there. So I have got a complete story end-to-end. Uh, and so my interactions with him are less about discussing concepts uh, or approvals. It's more about, we talk about the results, how they're coming and what he should be expecting, where I'm taking this brand, where I'm taking the organization mm-hmm. uh, and how it is evolving. And he, he's a big picture person. So I share with him the big picture and I don't drag him into the mm-hmm. minutiae. And uh, that also is very helpful. And, uh, you know, he's a great friend uh, and a phenomenal human being, as I said. Mm-hmm. So he can see eye to eye when we talk about the causes and the purpose-drivenness, et cetera. And that really helps. Mm-hmm. So I hate to end this conversation, but we must. So I'm going to end with a bit of a lightning round. So the first question for you is, what's a, a non, besides MasterCard, what's a brand you, can, you would rather not live without? Right now, it's Apple. So you're Apple all the way. Apple all the way. Most interesting book, you're, you mentioned that you're a reader. Most interesting book you are looking forward to reading or you're reading now? Uh, I'm reading right now a book called Range, uh, which is about general management versus functional specialization. Fascinating book. David Epstein, very good book. That's what I'm right now reading. That's not on my radar. It, it is now. It's a great topic. Yes, it way. is. So you don't watch much television. Is there anything you watch on television? Uh, very little, actually. I don't get time. And you don't watch uh, the series. You don't watch Netflix, Hulu, no. Amazon, no documentaries, no, no series. No, no. Okay. Any podcast? You are, are you a podcast person? I do listen to podcasts. That really is something which I enjoy yeah. as well. So, for example, there is this disruptive voice by Clay Christensen. Mm, yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. So as an example, that's one. And of course, you know, now with this podcast of Mr. Uh, uh, Jim Stengel, I'll have to now keep listening to we those as honored. well. We would be honored. 
Make sure you listen to yourself. I will. And, and, you, and you share it with your friends and your family. Absolutely. And Ajay as well. Indeed. Right, super. So best habit you have to stay fresh and energetic for your role? You travel a lot. Yeah. yeah. How do See, you not get burned out? How do you stay fresh? I would say meditation helps me a lot. Right, and without fail, every single day I meditate. When do you do it? Uh, I do it in the mornings. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I do in the mornings is to meditate, and it's as little as sometimes twenty minutes, mm -hmm. uh, and it is as long as an hour, particularly if it is a weekend. Mm -hmm. And that sort of I don't know how much it is uh, physiological and how much is psychological, but the fact is, I feel very refreshed. I feel very calm and uh, grounded. Mm -hmm. So that's really good. Biggest hobby, passion in the world for you? Do you have a hobby? Is it Yes, music. I love mm. music. I just bought a set of drums and I want to learn. And, uh, you know, I, I, I am very much into music. Uh, I have learned. So you don't know how to play drums, but you are, will learn. You know I will how to learn. Set. I will learn. I have identified. Self-taught or a teacher? No, no. I have actually found a guy. Uh, he is probably 15, 16 years old. Perfect. And he actually is a very good drummer. So he helped me pick the right drum set. And now I'm all set with the equipment. <laughs> now we have to get started. Are your neighbors okay with this? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so who would you like to hear next on the CMO podcast? Uh, I would say actually somebody who I don't know and I've got a lot of curiosity about how he goes about and what happens inside is Phil Schiller. Uh, you know, I think he has not been very visible no. uh, in terms of outside of the Apple uh, conventions or those conferences where they reveal the products and stuff like that. So it'd be very curious from a curiosity point of view. He would be somebody I would love to listen as to what exactly goes on and uh, you know a product category that they truly uh, respect what they have done and how they have been doing things consistently over the years. That would be a good one. So yeah, I I, I have a class that I teach in Can with CMOS and I had Tor Meyerland come in to this year because they received Marketer of the Year at Can. So I interviewed him for about an hour, much like I'm interviewing you. And he was he was remarkable. You know, his background was, is in the agency business. He was the head creative at Gray during okay. the turnaround of Gray. Mm -hmm. But just with great, you know, his message was teamwork, curiosity, humility, customers. I mean, for the company that is so big, so successful, to yeah. hear those fundamental qualities still coming to life every day was inspiring. True. Absolutely. So Rajah, thank you for your insights, your generosity. This was... A fabulous, I'm a senior marketer. This was a fabulous lesson in management and marketing. So thank you for sharing it. No, for thank you, Jimmy. You're very kind. Thank you very much. And I look forward to hearing Phil Schiller next, hopefully. Okay, very good. <laughs> That's your task. We'll do our best. <laughs> thank you so much. Super. Thank really you. Appreciate it. That was my conversation with Raja. I loved how he spoke about the importance of sound in branding and marketing. And we just don't think about that enough. And when I asked him who does that well... He said no one he can think of. And with voice coming forward, voice commerce, this is going to be important. And they are leading in that respect. I also loved how he spoke about the relationship he has with his CEO. So many lessons and how a CMO and CEO can form a trusting relationship and a strong relationship from what Raja shared today. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.